Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we meet writer Shuri Saeed Sal, whose journey from nomadic childhood in the Somali desert herding goats to suburban California mother of three is chronicled in her new memoir, The Last Nomad. But first, the rise of the highly contagious Delta variant in California is prompting public entities to require vaccination or regular testing and counties to revive universal masking guidelines. Delta, we hear, is coming for the unvaccinated. But what about children under 12 who are not eligible for the vaccine? What do parents and caregivers need to do differently now? We learn more after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Regions with COVID outbreaks fueled by the Delta variant are now seeing rising case numbers and hospitalizations in children. At the same time, an internal report at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention finds that the vaccinated have the capacity to spread the variant in ways similar to the unvaccinated. All this is raising new concerns, especially among parents with children under 12 who are not yet eligible for the vaccine. And joining me now is Dr. Yvonne Maldonado, Professor of Pediatrics and of Epidemiology and Population Health Chief in the Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stanford University School of Medicine, also chair on the Committee of Infectious Diseases for the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Maldonado, glad to have you on. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, Nina. So we understand, of course, that vaccination is effective and that it significantly reduces the chance of severe infection hospitalization and death for people who end up getting infected with COVID-19 and of course this Delta variant. But that finding, that that reality, doesn't really address concerns that parents have these days, especially in light of the fact that uh, fully vaccinated people appear to carry as much virus in their nose and throats as unvaccinated people if they're infected. It really leaves a question for parents and caregivers wondering how likely is it that they could pass the Delta variant to their unvaccinated child, especially the child under 12? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, we have not, fortunately for children, um, we have not seen a, a term, the same big impact of this uh, pandemic on child health. Uh, but as I will talk about later, it's still significant, but it pales in comparison to the many thousands of deaths that we've seen in adults and the millions of hospitalizations in adults. So I think we are um, somewhat protected, but at the same time, children are vulnerable and they can still get sick. And it does leave parents concerned because 
uh, children under 12 cannot be infected. But there's still a lot of room. You here. mean cannot be vaccinated? I'm sorry, cannot be vaccinated. But um, uh, adults uh, should be vaccinated themselves, at least to protect their children at home. Uh, no. We know we can do that. And uh, we can we do have vaccines for children 12 and older, older and we know that uh, not every child. In fact, we're very far from being even 50 percent uh, of the children uh, older than 12 being vaccinated. As of uh, the end of last week, we have recorded about just under 10 million U.S. children under 18 who have received at least one dose of the vaccine. That represents just under 50 percent of 16 to 17 year olds and only 38% of 12 to 15 year olds. So um, we still have a ways to go. There are a lot of families who can still vaccinate themselves and vaccinate their kids to still reduce transmission in that age group. Yes, it certainly is lagging. I do wanna back up though a little bit. So basically this finding by the CDC, does that essentially mean that an infected vaccinated person can just as easily spread the Delta variant as an infected unvaccinated person. And by easily, I just mean based on viral load. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a pretty astounding finding. Although I think, uh, unfortunately, we've been predicting that something like this could happen. When it actually happened, I think we were all pretty um, surprised. Um, but this Delta variant is, uh, is different in that we, we generally had pretty good information that all of the previous variants, including the original strain, uh, re replicated at a particular rate. That is, you had so much virus in the nose and throat, we could measure that by PCR. And we knew that some people had very high loads, very high amounts, others had very low amounts. Um, what we're finding with, uh, and, and more importantly, when people were vaccinated, we were finding that if they had a few breakthroughs that those people tended to have lower viral loads, much lower. And the idea was that those people had such low viral loads that it probably was uh, unlikely that they would transmit to others in their households or in community or work places. What's very interesting and really frightening about the Delta variant is that this last couple of weeks, there have been data from China and from an, an outbreak in Massachusetts that indicate that people, uh, that first of all, this virus produces very, very high viral loads, much higher than other viruses, uh, other Delta, other variants, and probably tenfold uh, more infectious uh, in terms of viral load. Um, and uh, what we also found was that uh, people who were vaccinated who had breakthrough infections actually had as the same amount of virus in their nose and throat as people who were unvaccinated. So right. it didn't tend to be as sick as the unvaccinated, as you said before, but they could potentially spread more. And that is a concern. We haven't proven that yet, but it's likely that that's going to be the case. So then there's the next question. Are vaccinated people less likely to get infected in the first place? Well, that's been a, a you know a big uh, point that people have been trying to figure out, and all of the data from the U.S. that we have seen so far, the data from other countries, most other countries, does suggest that if you are vaccinated uh, with all the vaccines that are approved in the U.S. and to a certain extent with some of the others like AstraZeneca, 
you are uh, you you are going to have the same rate of breakthrough infection as we did before the Delta variant. The difference is that if you are vaccinated and there's low risk of transmission in your community, your risk of being exposed is low right now because this virus is so transmissible, especially in the unvaccinated community, you're just gonna be at higher risk of being exposed, not at higher risk of getting infected once you're exposed. So I think we need to make that clear because what people are now starting to say incorrectly is that, oh, the vaccine doesn't work anymore. And that's absolutely not true, it does work. It still works, works very well. And if you do get a breakthrough infection, you are really at very low risk of developing hospitalizations or deaths. In fact, over 99.7 or 8%, depending on the day and how you crunch the numbers, you are of the people who are hospitalized and are dying, unfortunately, are unvaccinated people. So these vaccines are still highly effective and highly protective. At the same time, I am seeing health experts adjusting their description of breakthrough infections from rare to less likely or less common or uncommon. So is rare a misnomer now for breakthroughs? Well, it depends on what you mean by rare. (laughs) I I think uh, we have certain definitions for rare for FDA and what serious adverse events are, but I think it's all in the eye of the beholder. What I'm saying is that the risk is not, the rate, the rate of breakthrough is not different. The risk of becoming exposed so that you can then develop a breakthrough is going up because you're just around more people who, can, who are infected because unvaccinated people are spreading the virus. So that's really the difference. That's why I think most people are hedging and saying the risk is, uh, is not, you know, it's not zero it's still somewhere between, uh, you know, five and 8%, but that's always been the case. But a five to 8% risk of being infected if you're exposed uh, really depends on how many people you're exposed to, right? So that's, that's going up substantially. We're talking with Dr. Yvonne Maldonado about the Delta variant, new information about it, and also what that tells us about precautions we need to take now and how to protect children, especially those under 12 who are not eligible for the vaccine. Are you a parent or a caregiver of young kids? Do you have questions that you are grappling with when it comes to the Delta variant? If so, give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You mentioned earlier that uh, while we are seeing an increase in the number of kids hospitalized, that it's still unclear whether or not, or it's still somewhat heartening that it appears that children are not as affected as adults when it comes to the Delta variant. But that said, what do we know about the severity of the Delta variant in children, the impact that it can have? Well, I, let me refer you back to the American Academy of Pediatrics. They keep a regular track of what's going on with children. There's, it's the only source of pediatric data for the U.S. And if you ever want to find out as a parent, a caregiver, or just a general interest, you can go to aap.org and click on the COVID link, and it'll take you to the vaccination data and the data state by state. So you can find it all there. But I'll summarize it for you by saying that we are seeing over 4 million children now 
cumulatively since the beginning of the pandemic who've been infected based on testing. Now remember, people don't always take their kids in for testing, but based on testing data, we've documented over 4 million infections in children. Um, and this represents about 14 or 15% of the total cases in the US. So again, not the most, not the highest rate, um, but we have seen over 17,000 hospitalizations in children among only the 23 states that report hospitalization by age. So we don't really know that data for 27 states. Um, and we don't know which, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's unclear what the true rate of infection or risk of infection and hospitalization is for children who've been infected. Now, we also know that between 380 to six to 700 children have died from this disease as well, uh, based on data that's reported from most of the states and some modeling data that counts for underreporting of deaths. Now, most people may say, well, that's not a big deal compared to what's happening with adults. But frankly, I would argue that it's a, it is a very big deal. Children under 18 don't die. So if you look at the data for deaths under 18, there are 20,000 deaths a year in children under 18. So when you look at three to 800 deaths, that's uh, in the top 10 most common causes of death for all age groups under 18, except for newborns. So it's still significant. And are you and worried we, that the Delta yeah. variant is more severe uh, than um, previous variants? No, we're not. So far, I don't know the answer to that yet. We're starting to look at this. We're starting to get reports from some children's hospitals that they're seeing increases. But we uh, don't know, as we talked about before, for breakthrough infections for vaccinated people, whether this just reflects higher rates of infection now. We are seeing more infections today than we did a year ago. We've over 100,000 infections today mm -hmm. alone. A year ago, it was 78,000. So we're way higher than we were before we had a vaccine. More with Dr. Maldonado after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about how the Delta variant affects children and what precautions parents can take with Dr. Yvonne Maldonado, Professor of Pediatrics and of Epidemiology and Population Health Chief in the Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stanford, also chair on the Committee of Infectious Diseases for the American Academy of Pediatrics. You, our listeners, are with us with your comments and questions, 866-733-6786, that number, 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org, or reach us on Twitter or Facebook, at KQED Forum. Marie in San Francisco, join us. Hi, Marie. Hi, good morning. Um, over the weekend, my husband uh, um, got a sore throat and a little bit of a cough. And yesterday, just in an overabundance of caution, um, my husband, myself, and my 10-year-old daughter went to get rapid tests. My husband's test came back as positive. Um, mm. 
I have a little bit of a sore throat, but I had a negative. My 10-year-old daughter had a negative, and my 13-year-old daughter was out of the house. We're going in today to get the more the, the other test, not the rapid test, because I understand you can have false positives. I'm out of my mind with worry about my 10-year-old daughter and my possibly COVID-positive husband in the same house. What can I do? Oh, Marie, I'm I'm so sorry, and I can so uh, relate. Dr. Maldonado, your advice for Marie? Yeah, first of all, I, I'm so, so sorry to hear that. But listen, you know, we have to just be, you know, very grateful that um, we know that this infection will likely be, if it is true, will likely be uh, pretty, uh, very uh, mild in most people. So we know that 80% of people who get infected uh, don't have symptoms at all. So the small sore throat you might, you know, you experience could be probably the most that you might go on. And we also know that the rapid tests do have a high false positive rate. So it's possible that with the, the PCR test that all of you will be okay. I would suggest though, in the meantime, make sure that your husband if, uh, tries to stay uh, separate from the rest of you in the household as much as possible. Um, if he's around, he should be masking um, and uh, probably take his meals separate from you. Obviously he doesn't have to barricade himself or anything, but just maybe in a different room. And just make sure you uh, don't use the same utensils. Just keep your hands clean. And um, and I think uh, if everybody is asymptomatic, if you have a small uh, a sore throat, it, um, that may be the extent of it. So um, you're, I, I assume that you don't have underlying risk factors. But here's the thing. Um, if you haven't been vaccinated, um, there is a new uh, treatment that was just um, approved yesterday by the FDA. And we here at Stanford were part of those trials. It is an injection of a monoclonal antibody. It's a small shot that they give you. And it's a very high level of antibodies against the virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And if you get that within 96 hours of being diagnosed with an infection, um, the people around you have a 80% uh, reduction in risk of getting infected. So if, you, if one of you turns out to be positive, please go see your provider and they can get you access to that preventive measure. And please remember if you're not vaccinated and whether you're positive or not, make sure to, that the whole family, the older members who can be, uh, should get vaccinated. And I wish you all the best. Yes, Marie, I wish you peace of mind soon. Uh, Linda writes, my husband and I have tickets to go to Brooklyn, New York in mid-October to visit our grandchildren ages 7, 9, and 15. We've been vaccinated and the parents too. Now because of the dangerous Delta variant, we're wondering if we should go. The youngest has asthma and is immunocompromised. He was incubated in the ICU when he was four after getting the H1N1 flu. Yeah, that's a great question and a good concern. But I would say that if you are all, all of the people who are eligible to be vaccinated, if they are, including the 13-year-old, by the way, if the older uh, child and the adults are all vaccinated around that, the, the younger children, what I would do is get a rapid test um, and then uh, get another test uh, when you arrive, before you leave, get a test when you arrive. And if those are negative, then I think uh, uh, you might even consider a, a third test three days into the visit because uh, you're pretty well protected. If you're staying away from other people before the trip, then I think you should be okay. 
And remember, we're still far away from October. We don't know what will happen between now and then. But if things stay the way they are right now, and you are trying to stay as far away from others, you know, socially distanced from uh, people you don't know, then I think you should be okay. Well, Yael asks, is it possible for parents to make a decision to vaccinate children under 12, even if the vaccine for that age group is not available yet? Is there a waiver that parents can sign to make that medical decision? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, we get, we've gotten a lot of questions from people about that. And the FDA is just not allowing that to happen. It's actually a violation of federal uh, regulations to do that. We are not allowed to vaccinate anybody who's not in a clinical trial who's under 12. Um, and we're hoping, in fact, we just had a discussion with the uh, lead uh, vaccine regulator at FDA last week about urging them to uh, review the data as quickly as we can provide it to make sure that we uh, have a vaccine available to five to 12 year olds. But at this time, only people who are enrolled in clinical trials can get the vaccine if they're under 12. Well, let me go to caller Eric in San Francisco. Hi, Eric. Hi, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Eric? What's on your mind? Good, thank you. Um, there is a, a study reported in the San Francisco Chronicle this morning from Singapore that says that uh, although, uh, unvaccinated, although vaccinated people have this uh, high uh, viral load, apparently um, this amount falls off uh, more quickly over time than it does in unvaccinated individuals. And supposedly this makes the vaccinated people ultimately less infectious. I wonder if uh, you have a comment on this or if this is encouraging news. Eric, thanks. I saw that same article. Dr. Maldonado, good news? Yeah, actually, that's a great point. Um, that article has been uh, out for a little while, and I think it's really helpful to know. And what we do know in general from the very beginning of the pandemic is that people unfortunately have their very highest titers of virus or very highest amounts of virus in their nose and mouth in the days before they actually feel sick and for the couple of days after they develop symptoms. So um, so by the time you discover that you're infected, you've already probably exposed a lot of people already. This is another reason why this virus is so transmissible. But the good news here, as you pointed out, is it appears that among vaccinated people, that amount of virus really drops off rapidly as the immune system kicks in and knocks it down. So I do think that in the end, um, they, that maybe they could be less infectious, but remember they can be as infectious for at least a few days. We're talking with Dr. Yvonne Maldonado, Professor of Pediatrics at Stanford University School of Medicine, also chair on the Committee of Infectious Diseases for the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you'd like to ask Dr. Maldonado a question, you can always call us at 866-733-6786, email us forum at kqed.org, or post your questions or comments on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Dr. Maldonado, one of the other questions that I'm getting a lot is whether parents should be worried about sending their kids back to school. And of course, this is happening very soon. Do you think at this stage and with what we know about Delta that it still makes sense to move forward with having kids go back to school with the reopening plans that are in place at most districts in California or at some of the largest districts in California? You know, I absolutely think we should be sending our children back to school. I have three adult children, but I, I can't imagine what it's like right now to have young children at home. We are hearing stories and 
many of you are, are living these stories of children who are just going through so much, having been isolated from learning, uh, from their peers, uh, from all of the things that children need to do to develop normally. And um, I think it is important to get them back to school. The school districts have had a year to really get things going and to get this, the settings right. And I do think most, if not all school districts are ready to get kids back. Schools are not where children are getting infected. They are getting infected at home, in their communities, um, schools, if they follow the masking rules and the guidance, uh, vaccination for adults, for example, are going to be great places for children to be. They need to be back in school. And I, I think um, uh, I think that uh, we should be ready now. It's been almost 18 months and schools have had lots of time to prepare. But with what mitigation strategies? We know that LAUSD, for example, is requiring testing of all students and staff regardless of vaccination. There are masking requirements and some. Like, What do you think are the key mitigation strategies that need to be in place in schools? I think at the very minimum, uh, adults need to be vaccinated. I, anyone who can be vaccinated should be vaccinated, especially the teachers and the staff. That's actually where the transmissions start if they're going to happen at schools is among the adults. Uh, the second thing is masking. And you, uh, you may know this, but the American Academy of Pediatrics under, um, with, many of our, um, with many of us involved, put out guidance last month saying that we thought uh, everyone at schools should mask right now. This is before we even knew about the Delta issue because we thought it would be the safest and most expedient way to get kids back in school. So masking is important because it does provide that big barrier that we need to keep people from transmitting. And distancing is helpful as well, especially indoors. So three feet, one of the key things we found out in the last year is that three feet is just as good as six feet. And that goes along with what we know about other infectious diseases, respiratory viruses, that three feet should be sufficient. So that gives uh, children and teachers a lot more leeway to bringing um, indoor activities back. So those would be the main things. Of course, hand hygiene is important as well. Sure. But what about ventilation since we know it's airborne? Well, absolutely. But again, schools have had opportunities to check their ventilation. We know that oh, there are a lot of older buildings. They may not have proper windows or doors um, to provide that, but that you can build your own ventilation systems with fans and filters. Um, each district can address these and there are whole, all kinds of resources available, which I'm sure school districts have been looking at uh, over the last several months. So ventilation is important, but they should, they should be ready for that. What about toddlers who you can't really rely on to necessarily stay masked or socially distant, as you say, who are getting ready to head to preschool or back to daycare if they had a pause? How do you protect them? Should they be going yeah. back right now? Yeah. Well, absolutely. So, you know, we've been sending people, children to daycare since the beginning of the pandemic. Certainly healthcare workers and frontline workers have been sending their kids to daycare. We just have not seen... Uh, outbreaks happening in daycare centers where they have been doing precautions. So the adults have to mask. Uh, we do not recommend masks for children under two. Right. Uh, but, you know, if adults are masking and the children are being uh, monitored for symptoms, obviously if the parents have symptoms or the children have symptoms, the kids can't come in for that, for that day until they've been tested. Uh, but we are not seeing any major problems because 
for some reason, younger children tend not to be as infectious or at least not transmit in the way that adults are. We still don't understand why, but if adults are masking and the children are distance as much as possible, uh, the daycare centers are actually a great, uh, have done a great job of keeping uh, children and staff safe. The one other thing I should mention, sorry, before I forget, the other biggest source of transmission, the biggest one is people sitting together to eat and drink. That is really where we're seeing the biggest source of transmissions in congregate settings. So hospitals, workplaces, schools, et cetera. Hmm. Let me go to Polly and Vallejo then. Hi, Polly. Hi. Um, quick question. I sort of addressed it a little bit, but I have a friend unvaccinated is saying I'm not going to do it till it's FDA approved. Um, we're supposed to go to Universal Studios after Labor Day that weekend. And I'm just hoping I can just naturally cancel because of the numbers and not say, oh, it's because you won't get vaccinated. Um, oh, I have small children traveling with me that aren't vaccinated. So I guess I don't know what my question is really. Like, well, are you traveling with this person who is unvaccinated or are you yes, meeting them at Universal? Staying at the hotel together. Hmm. So you, so you want to get advice from Dr. Maldonado about what to do? Yeah, at this point, even if she got vaccinated, she wouldn't be fully covered. So I don't Thoughts? think I can convince her. Polly, yeah, thanks. You know, that that's a tough issue. And, and this is one of those uh, problems that I think we're all facing is how do you, I mean, everybody, every unvaccinated person has relatives and friends. So um, they must be, some of them may be going through this. And I do think this is a time to really be open and honest um, without hurting your friend's feelings or opinions, which, I mean, clearly they, she has very strong feelings about what she wants to do, but she should be able to respect your opinion as well about your own safety and the safety of your children. So maybe you could have a, a, a compromise, which is what we're doing in some workplace settings. And that is, yes, let's do this. We'll see what happens in the next few weeks, but can you please be masked around my children? I mean, that in, in itself is what we're doing in workplace settings. And maybe she could also get a test before you get together. Uh, that could be something that could really go a long way towards protecting your family. Well, Denise asks, is the CDC tracking the relative frequency of breakthroughs, breakthrough infections by vaccine type? So the CDC stopped tracking breakthrough infections unless they were leading to hospitalizations and deaths because it's really hard to track every single case. Um, I'm involved right now with a, a five-site uh, Sentinel uh, surveillance project around the country. Stanford is one of the sites. We're going to start next month tracking um, all breakthrough infections in the population around, um, around us. So around the San Francisco area, we'll be tracking those. But what they are doing and what we will do is in addition to cat cat cataloging that information is we are going to send every single isolate to look for variants. And yes, absolutely. While the CDC is not tracking every breakthrough infection, they're tracking breakthrough infections among hospitalized people and people who have uh, died from the disease. And they are tracking the genetic makeup of that virus. Yes. Yolanda tweets. I'm sorry, that is posted on their website if people want to look at it. Yolanda tweets, if you're vaccinated, test positive, but show no symptoms, are you still just as contagious as someone who is unvaccinated? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great point. And this is one of another really tricky thing that this virus has done is that it can be just as transmissible if you are asymptomatic as if you are symptomatic, mm-hmm. uh, especially this Delta variant. And last question, we are actually getting a couple about, I think people trying to figure out how to balance needs in homes. Melissa writes, I have three kids, two are teenagers and are fully vaccinated. My youngest child is five and not vaccinated. I'm worried about balancing, letting my older kids return to some activities. What suggestions do you have for keeping the five-year-old safe while helping protect the mental health and physical health of the older ones? Similarly, Rachel wonders, I have an unvaccinated child and a husband in chemotherapy. Other than masking in the house as much as possible, what can I do to protect my husband and that my child participate in school and sports? So we just have less than a minute, but your thoughts on how to manage that environment, those environments. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, I mean, parents are extremely creative. I mean, again, I've had three kids. You have to do what it takes to keep them all going. And I would just say, that make sure that the, the older ones get a chance to have activities outside. They have to remember that they have to follow the rules because it's helpful for the young one to stay health, safe and healthy. Remember again, that uh, for people who are immunocompromised, um, there, there may be boosters coming. We don't know when, but we think it's soon. But I do think masking and testing the younger one if that needs to be done. And if there is an exposure, we do have the monoclonal antibodies that are now approved for injection. So it's not an infusion. It's a very simple injection for people, for example, immunocompromised people or people 12 and older who uh, were exposed um, and may be at high risk for serious infection. I'm glad to hear treatment options are improving. Dr. Maldonado, really glad to have you on today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Dr. Maldonado of Stanford University School of Medicine. Ariana Prail produced today's segment. We have another one coming right up after the break, so stay with us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Coming up tomorrow on Forum, some men in the U.S. experience paternal postpartum depression during the first year of their baby's life, a condition that often goes undiagnosed. We'll talk about new research, and we want to hear from you. Are you a father who felt depressed after the birth of your child? How did you cope? Leave us a message at 415-553-3300. That's 415-553-3300. To listen to past shows and subscribe to our podcast, visit kqed.org forum. For the latest updates on our programs and guests, find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We're at KQED Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.